Good day to you ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Film Focus episode 108, Video Game Adaptations Part 1. Good day to you, ladies and gentlemen of the North, South, East, and West, and welcome to another episode of Film Focus. I am your host, The Hyper Zone 55, and I'm glad that you decided to join me once again for some film related discussion. And today, ladies and gentlemen, I've been waiting to do this one for so long. We are finally talking about video game adaptations. Now, this is a episode that I've been developing for, I'd say, about just over three years now. Initially, I wanted to cover this back in 2017 as one big episode. However, as time went by and more video game adaptations were not only announced but showed up, it became apparent to me that I wouldn't be able to cover this in one big episode because there were far too many game adaptations to cover. So I decided to break this thing down and cover this as a series as opposed to one video. I'm thinking that we're probably going to start off as a three-part series, dedicating it to the first set of video game films in the 90s, then cover most of the stuff that happened in the 2000s, and then cover the sort of modern era of video games that sort of started with Assassin's Creed and Warcraft, although I might put Need for Speed in there just because it feels a little bit newer as opposed to the Prince of Persia film that came at 2010. And so with this series, I just want to talk about video game adaptation because I am stupidly passionate about this subject matter. Video games are my first love, I've enjoyed them for at least a good quarter decade now and I feel that beyond just being a good form of entertainment, escapism and just something that's easy for you to cope with when you're having bad times in your life, they tell some really fun and interesting stories and especially since the HD era of video gaming, we have had a lot more games step into the cinematic style and then try to tell more noteworthy stories ones where the story is the focus alongside the gameplay and i feel that the video game genre while it's been you know pretty miss as opposed to hit has the chance with the right kind of creative team behind it to become the next big craze in hollywood like the superhero genre is right now because for years there have been a lot of noteworthy people in the industry whether they are like you know reviewers or filmmakers saying that there is a chance that the video game industry could take their IPs and then put them into Hollywood and then become something really big and we've definitely seen a shift in the last five or so years in terms of the people who are behind these projects putting a lot more effort into these projects than was done in the past so for this I wanted to cover the most notable video game adaptations that's come out so far talk about their origins, talk about how they relate to their source material, the pros and cons of each, talk about the filmmakers involved if it's relevant, and then talk about how not only the way video game adaptations have changed over the years, but also the video game industry has changed because obviously as time went on, hardware changed, more games got made, different type of voices in the video game industry came along and either created new trends, changed things in the genre, or, you know, made a new type of thing that maybe someone hadn't seen before so you know there's a lot of different factors that come into play when it 
talking about video game adaptations. And I want to squash this whole idea that video game adaptations are just bad because they've always been bad and that there is no potential for the genre. And, you know, definitely squash that whole idea that because video games are interactive, you can't translate that kind of experience from game to film. There is a way for adaptations to work. You just have to have the right kind of people behind it in order to make it happen. So for this first episode, we're going to be talking about phase one, a.k.a. the 90s, a.k.a. the big set. Now, initially, I was going to be focusing on the big main three films, the Super Mario Brothers film, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. However, I wanted to dedicate a bit more time to Double Dragon and Mortal Kombat Annihilation just because it's a sequel to the original Mortal Kombat and that film is something else and really requires a discussion to be had about it as well. So, for today we're going to be talking about the 90s based films. Now, we could be talking about Wing Commander, but that film was a lot harder to find, so I'm just going to say bun that movie because Wing Commander, while it is notable in the industry among certain people, it doesn't have the same kind of profile that the other films I'm going to be talking about have. So yeah, I decided that film doesn't look as interesting as I thought it would be, so I was like, yeah, screw that one. So, strap yourselves in, ladies and gentlemen. This one is going to be a meaty episode. And you may hear me get a little crazy, but it's because the passion is there. Anyway, without further ado, we're going to jump into this thing. Alright, well now it's time to get this gravy train rolling with the first major video game film ever. A film that's marred in all sorts of controversy. Some people love it, some people hate it, and it's still very infamous to this very day. I am, of course, talking about 1993's A Super Mario Bros. movie. Now... I became aware of what Mario was while going to a friend's house because I owned a Sega Mega Drive so I was mainly familiar with uh, Sonic, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat and all that kind of stuff but I got my Mario fix going to my friend's house so the first Mario game I think I played was either Super Mario Bros. All-Stars where you got to play you know the 16-bit versions of Super Mario Bros. 1, 2, 3 and Lost Levels or Super Mario World. But yeah, by the time I'd seen the film, which I think was in the late 90s, either between the age of 7 and 9, I was pretty familiar with what Mario was, so I knew what to expect with a adaptation. But that film was not it. I remember watching the film and I'm like, that's Mario? Luigi? But what is this weird world? Why, why is Mario dancing with this like black lady with really big tits? And there's all this weird fungus all over the place? And... King Cooper, but he's a human but with some weird hair. I don't know what is happening. I watched that film though as a kid. I was confused, but you know, as a child, when you don't really have much options to, you know, watch stuff on TV, you just go with what's what's happening. And I watched that at my grandparents' house, and I remember that very distinctly. And I haven't seen the film since then, until I watched it earlier on this year, and man i feel like i repressed a lot of memories because there was a chunk of this film i don't recall but there were certain things certain images that never left my mind and the super mario brothers movie is one big mess it is one of the most nonsensical foolish strange and disgusting things i've ever seen now i know that there are a good number of people out there that enjoy this as a you know, so bad it's good kind of thing, or just enjoy the strange, otherworldly, different side that this film represents as opposed to its video game counterpart. But for me, I can't. 
now don't get me wrong i enjoy a lot of so bad it's good kind of films man but this isn't it maybe it is because of my attachment to this franchise but even if i took that aspect out of it this film does not make a lick of sense and as much as there's some interesting imagery and some of the story elements under like you know better writing and direction could create something that was pretty cool i'd have to be on the hardest of drugs or drunk out of my mind in order to watch this again so what is this film about well, you happen to have these two plumbers, Mario and Luigi, who happen to go on a little adventure to go about and save a princess from an evil dictator in a different dimension who wants to take over the world and rule not only the dimension he exists in, but the dimension where all the humans are. It's something else. This man i just gave you the very very cliff notes version of what this film is as you see it from the beginning with this whole backstory about how when the meteor hit the earth that wiped out the dinosaurs it actually created like you know two sides in terms of the world existing in two different dimensions one where like you know humanity exists in the way in which we do right now but then you have this other world where dinosaurs evolve from their sort of primitive states into humanoids and stuff and then you have this king cooper guy who's hell-bent on wanting to not only rule his world but also rule the world of the humans so apparently you have this princess who was from that dimension who gets sent to the human dimension who has this pendant around her neck that has a piece of a meteorite which happens to be the one key MacGuffin that can unite the dimensions and fuse them together it's like what is happening what is this who thought of this so here's the thing once you figure out how this film got made you start to realize why it's such a mess Nintendo they were riding this wonderful high with their series of really great games and this was just before Super Mario World was going to come out and they were fine to hand off the rights to a small studio to go about and make this happen they got first time directors, they got writers, but then they got another set of writers, and then they got another set of writers, and the film script changed several times to the point where it was still changing while the film was being made. The cast who were signed on to do the film had signed on to do a different script by the time they showed up on set there were problems with the directors people didn't like them they were difficult to work with the script changes meant that like the film was constantly in a state of shift scenes and moments just didn't work well together there was drinking on set there was talk of like you know some harassment going on and nintendo as the film was being made wanted to sort of distance themselves from it and when the film came out it was a box office bomb it failed fans who really wanted a good adaptation of Mario were in for a rude awakening and it pretty much put Nintendo off of making any adaptations of their IPs ever again until Detective Pikachu came out in 2019. There were a lot of red flags about this from the conception. The fact that Nintendo was so willy-nilly about giving their IP away just to, you know, have Mario spread himself around was the first major mistake when adapting a notable ip you have to have the right kind of individuals filmmakers who want to bring this to life in a satisfactory manner and these guys didn't know what the hell they were doing mate they wanted to make something edgy and different and it's just like that's not what mario is are you mad if you played any of those games now i think also 
the major issue with this film is that adapting Mario, especially at that point, was probably the worst thing you could have ever done. There wasn't really that many video games at the time that had a big focus on story, but for you to adapt Mario, there wasn't really much to work with in the beginning. Mario is all about a plumber running around the Mushroom Kingdom, going through several different distinctive worlds trying to collect the princess from the evil King Bowser who was known as King Cooper at the time. And all you're doing is just running through worlds, jumping on enemies, going through castles, defeating enemies, and then collect the princess at the end, that's it. And you could have built a decent story around that if you had, again, the right people involved, but these guys just decided, you know what, no, 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 we're gonna take this Mario thing in a different direction. We're gonna make something unique and different and so far removed from the source material that it's just a big WTF. This film barely, barely has any elements of the original source material. Besides Mario and Luigi, the main characters, you have a few elements in this other Blade Runner-esque world where some of the clubs, some of the uh, items, and some other little bits and bobs here and there are named after certain characters in the original video games, but the Super Mario Bros. film might as well just be in name only. There is barely any references to the video games at all, and it is atrocious. I think the only things I liked about the film is that there is a certain fun factor in seeing this sort of weird Blade Runner-esque world that they created, seeing how it sort of works, that sort of main street that they're on, some of the clubs that they're is and some of the costume design is pretty cool. I think my favorite aspect of the film is the Alan Silvestri score. Alan Silvestri, as some of you may know, is one of my favorite film composers ever, and his music for this film is very delightful, upbeat, and that main theme that they have for the Mario Brothers, especially when they're driving around in their little van, it's pretty fun. I reckon it has like, you know, that sort of nice, light-hearted, kid-friendly element that comes with certain films like Home Alone or Matilda or something like that. I don't blame the cast for this film. They did the best they could. I do like Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Those guys are cool. And uh, Dennis Hopper, I've found some fun in some of the quotes that he's had because he's become a meme over the years. So that's great. And Samantha Mathis, at least I think that's her name. Yeah, she did well as Daisy as well. I don't really hate her so much as... It's just the material that they were given to work with. It's surprising after the script rewrites, the changes to the film through editing, and all the palaver that went on with the directors that they were able to even release a semi-coherent kind of film. But even then, at the end of the day, it's just... It's a mess. It's a mess that hurts the mind, hurts the soul, and... I know that some people, again, that enjoy watching this, but for me, it was an endurance test. I felt pain pain I didn't know I could feel while watching this and I can't do it again. This was the first of several major failings in the video game adaptation space and it was only gonna get a little bit more questionable from there. Alright so next up is the 1994 film based on the arcade and NES classic Double Dragon and just like the Mario Bros film before it it is a silly ass film. So there's quite a few parallels to be made between the Mario Brothers film and Double Dragon. 
Both films are pretty far removed from their source material and have mostly original content of their own, which isn't really as compelling as the filmmakers think it is. Both films take place in an apocalyptic, futuristic world. Both films also have a tone that's aimed at children, but has certain elements that clearly is aimed at older audiences. Both films have an attempt at humor that isn't really that funny and is more painful than anything else, although I will say that the humor in Double Dragon is actually far, far worse. And both films feature a villain wanting a special MacGuffin that will bring them ultimate power slash world domination. It's like Double Dragon borrowed the homework from the Mario Brothers film but changed it a little bit, but in some ways they made it worse. Now I'm not big into Double Dragon. I only became aware of it in the sort of late 2000s because of the Angry Video Game Nerd because when Double Dragon originally released in the 80s, obviously I wasn't born. But in terms of the original Double Dragon games, I don't think I've actually played them. I may have touched them once at like a convention or something, but I couldn't tell you for sure. One game in the Double Dragon franchise I have played is Neon, Double Dragon Neon that came out on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. I played that game I think around 8 years ago and I had fun with it because it was on PS Plus but in terms of side scrolling beat em ups I much prefer the feel of Streets of Rage that's way more my kind of jam. But in terms of the actual story itself there's not much to work with. Much like Mario there wasn't really a story for you to mine. The basic premise of Double Dragon involves Billy and Jimmy Lee fighting through a bunch of bad guys in order to save Billy's girlfriend from the Black Warriors gang and that's it. Now it's a basic premise and with the right kind of people you possibly could have made a decent action film but alas this film went in a different direction. It has some references to the source material in terms of obviously character names, Billy and Jimmy's uniforms towards the end of the movie and there are some locations in this film that does feel similar to the game itself and there's even an arcade machine that has the Double Dragon game there, but it gets kicked in, so I don't know if that's the, this film's way of throwing shade at the original material, but it kind of felt disrespectful in my eyes. But this film is Double Dragon in name only, and its story is mostly original, and it is not very good. So the story involves Billy and Jimmy Lee, two brothers who are under the supervision of a guardian after their father dies ages ago. Now there is this medallion that is split into two halves, one that's held by the boys and one that's found by this villain named Koga. Now he wants the medallions to be fused together in order for him to gain ultimate power and it's down to the boys to basically keep the medallion away from him. And that's basically the way of like you know describing this film without going into the air as spoilers. The story at its core is familiar yet dumb and unengaging. It tries to make you care about certain things in the film with moments of drama and danger that's supposed to make you more engaged but it's poorly written and poorly delivered. It also doesn't help that the dialogue is atrocious with jokes and one-liners that are being said every so often to the point that it's just infuriating and it really breaks any sort of serious moments that happen to be on screen. There's also a number of tonal inconsistencies, with this film having predominantly light-hearted humour, which feels like it's definitely aimed at a kids film that's like a U, or I think it's like a G rating over in America. But then you get a moment like earlier on in the film where one of these guys is trying to hook up with a prostitute, 
but then it's just a guy in a wig and you're just like, what is this film? Who is this aimed at? What, what are you guys doing? And why is this film set in a post-apocalyptic future with earthquakes and stuff? And why is it set in 2007? By 1994, 2007 really wasn't that far away. And Back to the Future that was set nearly a decade earlier at least had a decency to look towards 2015. And to put the icing on this crappy Sunday, the story was partly conceived by Paul Dini. Yes, the same Paul Dini that worked on all those great animated material from the 90s including Batman and Superman the animated series, Justice League, Batman Beyond and so on and so forth. So I'm just like, what, what, what is happening here? Now I have no beef with the cast but they are pretty awful. Mark Dacascos and Scott Wolf play Billy and Jimmy Lee and for the most part they are the most unlikable characters I've seen for a while. They're talented with their martial arts stuff but they're mostly unfunny, whiny and lack any character traits that make them charming or endearing. Alyssa Milano is fun and cute as Miriam but she was barely utilized in the film. Julia Nicholson was fine as the guardian of the two main characters but mainly unremarkable and Christina Wagner was the most useless henchwoman I've ever seen in my life. The only sort of cast member I sort of liked was Robert Patrick as the villain Koga. Despite being another generic bad guy obsessed with power and dominance, his hair and his outfit made him look kinda cool and distinctive. As for the action, it was basic to subpar. Visually the action scenes aren't shot in a unique or interesting way, the fighting itself was simple hand to hand combat with use of props and the environment which I think they were trying to emulate like these sort of action comedy styles that you get from Jackie Chan films but it felt more like Home Alone than anything else and even though the actors clearly knew martial arts the choreography lacked style and impact and there's also some dodgy looking visual effects when the medallion powers are put to use it's odd unnatural and comical you just can't take it seriously so by the time this is over you feel like you've wasted your time Mario Brothers may have been a more painful experience in a lot of ways but at least that film was interesting you could see the ambition of what was going on this was just dull and unpleasant so yeah just skip it baby all right next up is another film from 1994 that was released just a month after double dragon based on the popular fighting game franchise street fighter now i grew up with street fighter 2 on my sega mega drive I had the Champions Edition and I played that game religiously. It brought me endless amounts of joy and while I wasn't that good at it, I loved playing as Ken, Ryu, Blanker and E Honda. Those guys were my boys. And because I had friends who had Super Nintendos, I played several different variations of Street Fighter 2, whether it's Hyper Fighting, Turbo, Super Turbo, so on and so forth. So I have a lot of history with this franchise and while the story potential isn't that much better than the previous films. I feel like there's a little bit more depth than the previous entries because of the various characters that you have coming from different parts of the world coming together to fight in the tournament. With a colourful cast of characters who have their own reason for participating, you could have made a decent tournament film out of this. In the vein of maybe Enter the Dragon or maybe The Quest. But alas, what we got was the film that showed up in 94 and that film is a bunch of nonsense. Now, it's interesting looking into the um, background of this film. The director, Stephen D. Souza, at least I think that's how you say his name, he was pretty notable for writing some pretty popular films in the 80s and 90s, and he claims to have been a fan of the franchise. So it's interesting to have someone at this point who's a fan of the source material coming on to make this film, and has at least a little bit more experience under his belt than some of the previous people we've talked about. On top of that, you had Capcom who was co-financing the film. So it's interesting that you had, again, 
someone who knows about the franchise and the company behind the franchise all working together to make this happen and this is the best result they came up with i also find it interesting that Souza, the director said that he didn't want to make a generic martial arts film and wanted to make something that was a cross between star wars james bond and a war film that ain't what street fighter is about mate now granted you could probably take those elements and create a pretty solid movie but you you just didn't hit the mark here mate it was it's no good so the plot of this film is simple yet needlessly complicated and dumb you have general m bison an evil dictator who kidnaps a bunch of people and holds them for ransom for billions of dollars so that he can eventually take over the world the only thing that stands in his way is colonel guile a military leader alongside a bunch of other fighters he acquires along the way and that's the way for me to describe this film without going into area spoilers the story is all over the place. Front and center you have the stuff going on with M. Bison and his plans for world domination and Gao making plans to try and stop him. But then over there you have the stuff going on with Ryu and Ken who are for some reason con men trying to sell fake weapons to an arms dealer who is Sagat. And then you have over there stuff going on with Chun-Li who's a news reporter who wants to get revenge on M. Bison for killing her dad and that's just the main story piece there's a number of mini story elements that transpire with varying degrees of impact in the story and it's hard to care about anything with so many moving pieces competing for screen time it means that certain plot elements are forgotten and then reintroduced later on but by that point you just don't care also the film wants to be taken seriously but you can't because its story is so laughable over the top illogical and when it comes to humor is bad save for a couple funny lines that admittedly made me laugh as for the cast they're mostly fine save for a few performances that elevate the film a little bit more firstly you have raul julia as m bison now julia is a guy that i mainly know from his appearance as gomez adams in the barry sonnenfeld adams family films i saw those as a kid and i quite enjoyed him in those films and in this film he's pretty much the best part of it he's very charismatic over the top and has a sort of magnetic presence and while you can't take his character too seriously he always looks like he's having fun it's a shame that this was his last film before he died which was just a couple months before its film's release and then you have Ming-Na Wen as Chun-Li now I admittedly have a big crush on Ming-Na Wen I've loved that one for many many moons now and in this film I thought she was one of the more compelling characters in this film because I'm a sucker for people who are on a um, tale of revenge it's just too bad that she didn't get as much screen time as I would have liked and she didn't get to kick as much ass as I would have liked but she was fun and she was cute then you have Kyla Minogue as Cammy. it's still weird that Miss Minogue is in this movie I somehow forgot that the last time I saw this many many years ago but yeah there she is her character doesn't get to do much she's mainly the second in command to Guile but I thought she was fine I wish she'd kick more ass though and then you happen to have the rest of the cast who you know are just fine i guess jean-claude van damme as guile nah i never saw this as good casting for me and van damme i like him i know a lot of people tend to like you know give him crap and they think of him as a lesser martial artist but i think he's pretty solid and when you put him in the right role he can be a pretty fun and compelling guy but here he was just too cheesy I just didn't believe in the character and a lot of his uh, delivery of his lines was just really awkward for me. And then you have Brion Mann and Damien Chapper as Ryu and Ken. They look like they're trying their best and they have a few moments here and there but they're mostly just meh. And everybody else in the cast was just pretty forgettable. 
Presentation wise, this film is pretty weak. The action scenes are uninspired and save for a few moments here and there, it's just, you know, a very meh kind of experience. And for a film called Street Fighter, there really isn't that much fighting in it. Most of the martial arts comes at the end of the film and even then it just lacks really good choreography, it's badly framed and doesn't give off any exciting vibes. There are a few moments like Ryu versus Vega in the cage fight and certain points of the final battle between Bison and Guile that's kind of decent but overall it's still just very underwhelming. I feel like most of the budget of this film went to the explosions which are admittedly pretty good and there's also a small segment of CGI that's used in the film for I think a boat that's supposed to use uh, camouflage to go invisible but it's mostly unnecessary. So how does this film relate to the video games? Well it does a better job than Mario and Double Dragon but at the same time it's still a sort of messy transition as you have several characters from the games who show up throughout various points of the film whether they be in the main cast or as background characters but the problem is a lot of them feel like they're there for no reason especially some of these background appearances when you hear these names and you know who these characters are you're just like why is this person here? It feels like a glorified cameo in some cases and it feels like some of these people are just here to tick a box just to say hey look look that character from the game is there I'm like well, why even include them if they're not even going to be of any use you've got characters like DJ, Dalsim, Blanker and T-Hawk who are just insignificant to this plot it's ridiculous and it also doesn't help that a number of these characters don't look like their gaming counterparts save for a few people like Bison and Vega and Zangief to a lesser degree but that's more so in his haircut and it also doesn't help that these characters don't have the same personality or actions and some of their backgrounds have been changed or shuffled all over the place. Like for instance, in the games, Guile is after M. Bison for killing his mate Charlie but in this film Charlie is one of the people who's been held hostage by Bison who gets transformed into Blanca. Some of these elements really don't matter to the general public and this is only going to be annoying for you know fans of the sword material but there are some of these elements that's so closely tied to the characters that make them who they are and I just don't see why those elements were changed for the film it baffles me so what you're left with is a film that can be admittedly fun if you're like you know inebriated but I don't see the fun in this film it's just it's long it's tedious and the action is so erratic that it's just not worth watching Alright and now we move to one year later where we will be graced with not only the best video game adaptation of this generation but we'd also be given one of the best video game adaptations period in the form of 1995's Mortal Kombat. Yeah man you can't say that title without screaming it at the top of your lungs. Now I'm not going to scream it to the top of my lungs because I don't want to be breaking your headphones or be shouting out and you're listening to this out loud and there's people saying why is there some crazy English guy shouting Mortal Kombat on your podcast and I'll be like yo I'm sorry <laughs> but yeah no Mortal Kombat from 1995 is a fan favorite amongst video game fans who like these adaptations it's the one that gets the closest to the source material and at least emulates those elements to a degree where it's recognizable to the source material as opposed to the crap that we've had to endure so far 
And while it's not perfect, it definitely has its problems and definitely has some issues now looking at it retrospectively. But at the time, it was a win for these adaptations. And I will explain why in due course. But before that, I'm just going to talk to you about my experience with Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat is another franchise, much like Street Fighter, that is near and dear to my heart. I'm less impressive when it comes to playing Mortal Kombat. I've never been able to get that fight system down. But I love, love the characters, the mythology, the world, the stages, all of those unique attacks, those sound effects. And of course, going into Mortal Kombat with all those unique characters, whether they be human, gods, monsters or otherwise, you have all these colorful characters with all sorts of interesting uniforms and movesets and special attacks, whether you can shoot electricity or fire or ice shoot weird like spears out of your hands, turn invisible, shoot acid and wreck each other with these crazy fatalities which means you'd end up like you know ripping people apart, like ripping them apart, knocking their heads off, ripping off their arms, ripping their spinal cords out, setting them on fire or like using those stage fatalities where you can knock somebody off a bridge and then into a spike pit and knock them into a spiky ceiling or knock them into a pool of acid, it's mad! It's mad, it's filthy, and of course, Mortal Kombat was one of the defining factors that gave us the ESRB and PEGI ratings board, which basically was the video game ratings board that protected children from violent video games, because obviously when Mortal Kombat showed up in the early 90s and was the crazy hit that it was, there was always going to be a bunch of parents and government trying to shut it down, and that was just the beginning. Anyway, going back to the film... It was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Yes, that same Paul W.S. Anderson who went on to make Event Horizon, Alien vs. Predator, and of course, more notably and more related to the topic at hand, he ended up making four out of the six Resident Evil films that started from 2002 to 2016. And we all know how those films turned out. And while I've heard from certain people online that as his first film, he wasn't really aware of what he was doing, especially when it came to directing the action scenes and stuff like that. I still feel like this is a solid, solid effort. The great thing about Mortal Kombat for me is the way in which him and the rest of his sort of creative people were able to take the spirit of the games and take the sort of events of the first two Mortal Kombat games and mold it into a story that is simple to understand and gets its point across. There is no convoluted story, no crazy parallel dimensions and all sorts of other nonsensical BS. It's just a simple story with a bunch of people coming together to defend the earth from a bad guy and that is about it. That's a simplified version but if you want the premise of the story it can be summed up as the following. So the story follows three individuals, Liu Kang, a warrior monk, Johnny Cage, an actor, and Sonya Blade, a soldier. All three of them come from different walks of life, but they are assembled by the Thunder God known as Raiden to come together to combat an evil sorcerer known as Shang Tsung and battle his forces in a tournament to save the Earth. And that is pretty much a way for me to describe this without going into the area of spoilers. I think the main reason that I appreciate the story in this film so much is because like I said before, it's straightforward, but also there's a right balance between cheesiness and seriousness. Because Mortal Kombat, for as serious, bloody, and crazy as it gets, 
it can be extremely funny, strange, and really silly. And I feel like this film captures those elements pretty well. There's decent humor involved, and you get the sense that, obviously, throughout like the story, as fun as some of the stuff that's happening is, there's a lot more sinister, crazy, and otherworldly things going on in the background. This film does a good job of creating suspense and tension and as you start to get these characters together, the main characters, and then bring them to the island where they'll participate in the tournament, slowly but surely all of them start to realize the severity of their situation and they all start to get a little bit more serious, especially Johnny Cage who treats a lot of this as a joke until he realizes that yeah, death and destruction and chaos is imminent in this location so yeah it's time for me to you know buck up my ideas a little bit more and while this film obviously lacks the bloody violent nature of its video game counterpart i feel like it does a decent enough job at bringing a lot of these uh, elements from the games to life especially when it comes to giving the characters the visual design that we know from the games and while of course certain people don't look exactly like their video game counterparts like Liu Kang, Sonya Blade and even Johnny Cage don't look exactly like their video game counterparts they still have the hair and enough of their uh, visual side of things that make them look the same it's mainly characters like Sub-Zero and Scorpion who represent their video game counterparts very well and yeah, they even have the personalities down pretty well and obviously take some of the elements that we know from the video games and translate it into the film as well. So talking about the cast, I love Christopher Lambert or Lambert. I've heard it said both times on the internet, so don't at me. I like that guy's Raiden. He's really fun. And while he isn't like one-to-one -one with the video games in terms of being a little bit more commanding and louder with his voice i kind of like this chilled out subdued yet ever present powerful individual who's there to help guide the heroes on their journey while also cracking a few jokes here and there it's a really strange performance but it's one that works and then you have lucan that's played by robin shao i like his character he's still a shaolin monk he knows how to fight and he is the one that ends up defeating Shang Tsung in the tournament, much like he does in the video game. They add this extra thing where he has a brother in this film for some reason. And, you know, that element I could have taken or leave, but, you know, in the context of the film, it works. It's not bad. I also love Lyndon Ashby as Johnny Cage. He works that role perfectly. He's the perfect combination of a snobbish self-centered got those one-liners but he also knows how to fight when necessary and he has this great sort of like back and forth with Liu Kang and Sonya Blade that's great and obviously you can't talk about this film without mentioning Kari Hiroyuki Togawa as Shang Tsung a performance so notable within the Mortal Kombat fan base that they got him back for Mortal Kombat 11 and had him feature in his own separate segment with the DLC, which was Aftermath, that got released earlier on this year. Tagawa's performance is legendary. He has that right balance of cheesiness, but sinisterness and over-the-top energy that you'd want. He's slimy, deceitful, yet very confident and badass, 
this is a great Shang song and it's one of those sort of performances that stay with you after uh, it's over essentially. And then there's Bridget Wilson as Sonya Blade, I quite like her, she was pretty cool. And Talisa Soto as Princess Katana, I actually quite liked her. She didn't really have much going on in the film, but again, she felt decently accurate to her video game equivalent. And the last person I wanted to mention was Trevor Goddard as Kano, who unfortunately passed away, I think, not too long after the film came out. But the fact that his performance was so iconic that they ended up reworking it into the Kano character that we have right now with the Aussie accent and some of his visual design, that is bloody great. But I find this film quite fun. And even though the action scenes aren't like the most technically complicated or filmed super crazy well, I find them nicely done with a nice balance of, you know, standard and slow motion shots. The hand-to-hand combat is pretty solid. And again, because of the nature of the characters, it allows for the uh, moves to be a little bit more distinctive and crazy in design, especially when Johnny Cage first comes across Scorpion in that field and you have all those crazy camera angles. And then with the teleportation, you get to go to all these different parts of the island, especially with um, Johnny Cage eventually taking out Scorpion with that whole thing with the skeleton head being on fire and it getting chopped off. And it's just, what is this? (laughs) It's nut Casey and it's stupid looking at times, but it's so much fun. And of course, you cannot mention the Mortal Kombat film without highlighting its theme music. Straight from the time the bloody film begins, you are greeted to one of the most amazing songs in the history of resistance, Techno Syndrome, in brackets Mortal Kombat, done by the Immortals. This song is one of the most perfect pieces of music in the history of existence. It's now known as the Mortal Kombat theme, but ever since that point, everybody's been on the hype with that song. If you are any part of the Mortal Kombat fan base, you know about this song. And I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the podcast beforehand, but I used to be part of a uh, video game group while I was at university. And while we were playing laser tag, we were able to play a whole bunch of different songs while we were battling against each other. So we got a point where we got to play some video game music. And when this song came on, Everybody on the blue team, which was my team, we all came into the middle of the uh, laser tag area and we just started to rave. We didn't care that we were getting shot and we lost that match badly. But it was a Mortal Kombat rave in laser tag. And it was a session and a half. That's what this song does to you. The Mortal Kombat theme song is meant for raves and good times. Every time you hear it, it's like being fired up from the depths of your soul and you can't help but fist pump, dance, do whatever. There is no way you're going to be bounced to this song sitting still. Thank you, Immortals, for providing us with one of the most glorious sounds in the history of existence. The actual film score for the film itself was pretty decent, but I don't think it was like crazy memorable. I'm trying to remember who did the um, music for the film. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, I remember. It was George S. Clinton. It was decent, but again, not one of the uh, memorable aspects of this film. But yeah, Mortal Kombat, what more can I say that hasn't been said already? It's so much fun. Again, right balance of cheesiness with seriousness. Very faithful to the video games to the point where if you're a fan, you can recognize 
the elements that they've incorporated. And yeah, while there are some issues with some of the story and visual effects elements here and there, and the fact that it ends on a cliffhanger with Shao Kahn showing up saying, yo man, I'm gonna come at you guys and take you out. And then everybody just strikes a pose and the film is just done. Straight up sequel baiting. Normally I'm not down for that, but with this film, again, it just works, man. This film is fun. And here's the thing. I know that there's a lot of people that appreciate this film because they grew up around the time that I did. So they saw the film around the 90s and have an appreciation for it because it was pretty much the only option that we had. Obviously, there's been a number of adaptations that's come out since then, which obviously means thoughts and ideas of what is good in terms of adaptations change. And I know that there's a number of people that have seen the film in recent years and said, well, what's the big deal? It's not really that good. Not really much better than what we've had right now, or it's actually a lot worse. But yeah, it really depends on how you take to these films and whether you're a fan of the franchise or not. And now we move on to the last film in our list today, which comes in the form of the 1997 sequel to Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Now this film, as opposed to the prequel, is regarded as not only one of the worst video game films, but also one of the worst films ever, period. And for good reason, it's bloody trash. Mortal Kombat Annihilation is a messy dumpster fire of a film. And yet, I bloody love it. Now this is the kind of dumb film that I like. From the bad dialogue to the questionable performances to the bad presentation, it creates a unique experience that's so awful and yet so glorious. And while I find a lot of fun, joy, and humor in its awfulness, there's definitely aspects of this film that I find dull and tedious to get through. And it was way more noticeable on my last viewing than it was when I watched the last few times. So what's the story in this film? Well, it takes place right after the end of the first film, with the hero's short-lived victory interrupted by an invasion of outworld forces led by Shao Kahn, their leader. He declares in six days that he'll merge Earthrealm with Outworld, and so it's down to the heroes led by Raiden once again to defeat him before the merger is complete. And that's basically the story of the film without going into the era spoilers. So what did this film actually do right? Well, for me, I have to applaud its ambition. Straight from the beginning of the film, we're introduced to this invasion of Outworld forces, and we're also introduced to several notable characters from the video game, including Bataro, Ermac, Rain, Shiva, and Sindel. And from there we get to see even more characters like Jax, Jade, Nightwolf, Cyrax, and so much more. And on top of the expanded roster, there's even an attempt to add extra mythology to the film, including the introduction of the Elder Gods. There's an attempt to try and add a more grandiose and expansive story than before, which is clearly drawing from the material from the Mortal Kombat 3 game, which came out in the same year as the first Mortal Kombat film, which was 1995. And I really do appreciate how the filmmakers wanted to mine the source material a little bit more directly than before, even though they didn't reach those lofty heights. Beyond that, all the other stuff that I like in this film is more personal preference because it makes me laugh. Some of the performances in this film are bloody awful, but they are so good because the delivery is so bad. Everybody knows about the Sindel line about too bad you will die, but you also have some really questionable stuff from Raiden, some questionable material from Nightwolf and Jade, and oh, 
Jax will get to him later. But I think the king of the crop comes in the form of Shao Kahn played by Brian Thompson. Thompson hams it up in every scene that he's in. He is all sorts of over the top and bad but it's brilliant. He is my favourite character in this whole film. And I actually quite like Liu Kang and Katana. They're the only two members from the first film that actually carry on into this sequel even if they don't seem to be as interesting as they were the last time. And the action sequences, holy crap, they are wonderfully dumb, nonsensical, with all sorts of bad wire work, cheap looking sets, and useless acrobatics and poses. And why are there so many people flipping all over the place, whether they're doing flips on the ground or jumping through the air? It's awful. And I love it. It's so good. <laughs> oh. But that's about all the praise I can give. Everything else is a bloody shambles. This film is stuffed to the brim with content to the point where it can't bloody breathe. There's too much going on here. New scenarios and characters keep popping up along the adventure with no proper explanation. And while fans of the games will be able to fill in the gaps, newcomers will be left with more questions than answers. And the film won't feel obliged to divulge those answers for you. You're just gonna have to figure it out on your own or just say, you know, screw it, just keep going. And some of these new characters serve a purpose for the story while others don't, which leads to certain popular characters from the games feeling like they have extended cameos instead of proper roles. And this applies to Jade, Jax, and Nightwolf, to name a few. And speaking of characters, these guys feel more useless than they did in the last film, making dumb decisions or not utilizing their powers and abilities. And for me, the worst offender is Jax. Jax is actually a pretty cool character from the games. He has a lot of charm and he's larger than life, very charismatic and very strong. This guy is a big fat dummy, always asking questions, pretty useless in battle, barely making any headway, normally getting his ass kicked by everybody. And he's always there with his stupid one-liners, cracking jokes and hitting on women he jack's too thirsty man i i this is the worst interpretation of the character that's ever existed man it's it's bad but beyond that you have the fact that johnny cage sonya blade and raiden were replaced from the last film and their new counterparts they're not too bad but they don't have the same energy as the previous film you have Sandra Hess as Sonya Blade in this film. Well, while Sonya in this film kicks a lot more ass, I just don't find her as intimidating. And she gets into a lot of situations where it's just like she seems a little more helpless than the last film. And James Remar as Raiden, he's a different interpretation of the character, especially after he gets that bloody haircut, which is so weird. And while I appreciate that he gets a little bit more stuff to do in the action department, I don't find him as intimidating as I should do. As for Johnny, I mean, Johnny Cage is barely in the film, but he's there in the beginning, and as soon as the film is starting up, you can see, obviously, the changes in the cast, and he's one of the most notable ones, because I'm, like, looking at this Chris Conrad guy, and I'm like, that's not Johnny Cage, where's the other guy gone? But then it doesn't matter, because the guy gets his neck cracked in the start of the movie, and that's it. I'm like, well, yay, I get it. Oh, God, that was so useless. 
And uh, yeah, from there, everything else character-wise just gets a little worse. The costumes look cheaper and more toy like before, especially with the robot armor and Jax's arms. And the music for this film just feels a little too hyped than it than it needs to be. It feels like those sort of workout DVDs or trance music that you dance to in raves. Some of it's pretty kick-ass, but it feels um, not appropriate for some of the stuff that's happening. Some of it's too low energy, some of it's too high energy, it just doesn't match up. It, it's just not right. And then you have the fight scenes which are so laughable and bad. Now, granted, I did say before I really enjoy the fight scenes, but some of it's good, but some of it's really bad. There is some really bad editing, overuse of slow motion, the fight choreography is lazy, badly staged, and so uninspired. And somehow the visual in this film got worse than the last one. And the green screen is so obvious, it's so bad. It's like, what are you guys doing? You couldn't finesse this a little bit more? And then there's the visual effects, which... <sighs> the visual effects are all sorts of ugly. It doesn't mesh with the live-action footage at all. The lighting is bad. And on several occasions, some of the CGI is repeating. It just looks really, really awkward. By 1997, we had gotten a lot further with visual effects. I understand that these guys probably was on a budget and had a shorter window of time to maybe finish this in, but there is no excuse for this. Looking at this right now made it seem like some of the uni projects I ended up doing when I was studying like 3D animation in like university over six years ago is pretty bad. And it all culminates with a final battle between Liu Kang and Shao Kahn and their animality forms where Liu Kang turns into some weird dragon thing and Shao Kahn turns into this big hydra ugly looking piece of garbage and it's just two brown poo looking monsters trying to attack each other and it's ghastly. It's awful. And the thing is it's not even there long enough for it to be of value so then you're just like why did this happen if there was no like proper endpoint to it. It's awful. So yeah, I mean overall ladies and gentlemen, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, I reckon it's worth a, a watch if you're drunk. Oh god, <laughs> it is something else. Alright, and now it's time for the conclusion. So we've talked about five films today, and talked about the pros and cons of each and how well or how not so well they adapted their source material. I think in the end, we have to realise that this is a very different time for video game films. This was a changing period for not only films but also video games as we were switching from that 2D 16-bit to 3D gaming and exploring the possibilities of telling stories in video games which was a medium up until that point where story elements wasn't as prominent as it was you know at that point in time essentially and with new and emerging forms of entertainment there always has to be a guinea pig or the first one out of the gate to you know be the sacrificial lamb and in this case we had the super mario brothers film just the worst idea for the first film in a series of video game adaptations luckily we somehow got at least a little better with more combat which still remains today to be a pretty solid entry in the video game adaptation department, mainly because there was way more to adapt 
in terms of the story mythology and characters as opposed to a platforming game or a beat-em-up while Street Fighter is sort of in a similar department to Mortal Kombat in terms of just having a bunch of characters come together to fight the interesting thing about Mortal Kombat is that the lore in those games has always been pretty dominant throughout whether it be through the manuals or the arcade modes or some of the story segments that they had at the opening and ending of games or the comic book tie-ins that they had which was essentially canon for the franchise Mortal Kombat essentially just had more material to work with than any of the previous you know IPs that were adapted during this period so I think some of the future filmmakers that started taking on you know material afterwards started to look at franchises and IPs with substance that was going to be good material for adaptation so with all that being said what did you guys think of my list have you seen any of these films and if so what do you think of them and yeah I always look forward to hearing any thoughts that you have so contact me in the comment section below or hit me up on Twitter where I am at hypersonic 55 or at filmfocus55 and yeah you know check out the podcast on soundcloud itunes and spotify and i hope you'll be around when we do part two of these video game adaptations where we'll be going through the whole of the 2000s so pretty much from 2000 to 2010 and there are a bunch of adaptations in there a lot of interesting and awful material that we'll have to go through some of these films i've seen before a lot of them i haven't Will I still be alive by the end of it? You'll have to wait and see. Anyway, thank you for listening. As always, ladies and gentlemen, your support is always appreciated. And until the next time, this is the Hypersonic 55 signing out. Peace.